0: Just a note before the show begins, I messed up in my first little bit of babbling, and for some reason, instead of saying better help, which is what I meant to say, and what I had written down on the paper beside me, I said better health, and I think I did it every time. I don't know what was wrong with my brain at that time. My apologies. Thank you for listening, but please be advised that I am not an expert in any of the topics I cover for the show. Use critical thinking and skeptical inquiry to look into things for yourself and advise me if I get something wrong. Also, I swear, not all the time, but when I get excited or passionate, they just seem to slip out. So listener discretion is advised homes. The governor of Missouri declared a state of emergency. Very serious situation here in Hawaii. Earlier this evening, the uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami threat. The sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down from Nebraska to Texas. Hello, I'm Ruby and this is episode 48 of Living Through Extinction, a short to the point podcast with science skepticism, environment, wildlife, and ways we as humans can be better overall two episodes ago, I praised the men of the podcast Cognitive Dissonance. The way they change their minds when presented with evidence, the way they shamelessly admit their errors, the way they are always trying to be better people. Well, I'm happy to say they have shown their integrity once again. They accepted sponsorship from Better Health for some time before the ways that Better Health are really making their money were revealed. In case you were out of the loop on this one, it turns out they make their money not just by selling your information, but actually selling access to the app and your activity on it. While they can't see the back and forth texts between you and your therapist, they can see how often you log in, how long you log in. The only purpose of this is to learn how to manipulate people who are seeking help. Those in distress are easier targets after all, right? Well, CogDIS has ended the relationship with better health. They have offered heartfelt apologies as they were completely duped. They really thought this company was about helping people get access to mental health help, which they wanted to support. For their next step, they said they will be donating every cent they made from this corrupt company to mental health awareness. Go Tom and Cecil! With that out of the way, it's time to start the show. If you have joined me before, then thank you so much for returning. If this is your first time listening to Living Through Extinction, welcome! I hope you find it both fun and informative. I'm excited to talk about sleep paralysis. It's one of those fun, skeptical topics because of the clear history steeped in lore, and then finally, one day, the clear explanations provided by science, of course. Recordings of sleep paralysis through the ages show how they are influenced by the ideas you have already been exposed to or already believe in some way. When the primary fear in a community was based around the fairy folk, for example, sleep paralysis hallucinations would include tiny people dancing around the bedroom, or an imp sitting on their chest. When the primary fear in a community was based around witches and demons, sleep paralysis hallucinations would be of a haggard old woman or a demon, sometimes also sitting on their chest. Extremely religious Christians have seen angels, but it doesn't tend to be comforting. In times of daily UFO stories, the hallucinations involved aliens, which coincidentally would look like the ones in whatever stories each hallucinator was familiar with at the time. Hmm. I'm sure most people are aware of it, but if you've never had it or known anyone who has had it, maybe it's never come up. Maybe some of this will be new to some of you. When we have a normal night's sleep, there are different stages, and the brain does different things in these stages. There's a point where neurotransmitters in the brain called gamma-amibutyric acid, that's GABA, and glycine turn off a specialized set of cells in the brain. This specialized set of cells allow for active muscle movement. This is a good thing because it keeps us from acting out our dreams. People with sleepwalking conditions are not having these movement cells deactivated during sleep. In studies in mice, we've learned that both the GABA and glycine have to be present to completely block movement. They cut the motor function area of the brain off from GABA and glycine, and the paralysis does not occur. They cut one or the other off, and it still does not occur. When both have access to the motor function cells, the paralysis occurs. So both are required for the paralysis. So this part is normal. It's a regular part of our sleep cycle. If we are not being paralyzed, then there's possibly a problem. Like sleepwalking, as I just mentioned. Sleep paralysis occurs when you are suddenly awakened just as you reach or just after reaching that unmoving state or before it has properly worn off. So you become conscious, but frozen. You may find yourself unable to move or talk for as little as a few seconds to as long as a few minutes. Actually, the longest recorded was 20 minutes, which blew my mind, but averages six to seven minutes, which I'm sure still feels like forever to the person experiencing it. Depending on where exactly you were in your sleep stage, you may experience a waking dream and see things around you. 75% of reported experiences involve very, very realistic hallucinations that feel very distinct from a dream. Something or someone on one's chest is very common. The reason for this is that waking up and not being able to move is fucking scary, and that causes a feeling of panic and a racing heart, and a feeling of pressure is felt in the chest. Someone in a hallucinatory state may see things to go along with what they are feeling. Hence the demon, witch's cat, imp, succubus sitting on their chest at these times. Another common hallucination caused by the paralysis is called a vestibular motor hallucination. Your brain is working but your body isn't and you feel like you're moving, usually flying or floating. You may feel a disconnect like you have left your body or you may feel like you are floating physically away. Whatever you hallucinate around those physical feelings will likely come from your background of beliefs. There are two classifications of sleep paralysis, hypnagogic or pre-dormital sleep paralysis will happen as you go from your wake state to your sleep state. As you fall asleep, your body relaxes very slowly in a way that you don't even notice it into paralysis. Now, if somehow you remain or become awake after it's set in, you may find yourself noticing that you cannot move or speak. That's the part that's not supposed to happen. Hypnopompic or post-dormital sleep paralysis will happen as you go from your sleep state to your wake state. This is when you become aware before your REM cycle has finished. REM is rapid eye movement, by the way, though I'm sure you all knew that. Again, the result is becoming aware that you cannot move or speak. Sleep paralysis is pretty common. It affects four out of 10 people. While it seems to begin in one's teens, anyone of any age can experience it at any time, really. While there are no studies to prove anything, it appears to run in some families. Generally, it's not something to be overly concerned about. It's not life-threatening, and the episodes typically end on their own or when a person touches or moves you. The thing is, it still tends to be rather unpleasant. 90% of episodes are associated with fear, and only a minority report blissful or pleasant hallucinations. 10% of experiencers find it extremely upsetting. I mean... Common symptoms during an episode are difficulty breathing, sweating, muscle aches, headaches, paranoia, visions, and a feeling of impending death, so not pleasant. And the recall is much clearer than a typical dream, so that shit stays with some people. While there's still a lot to learn, sleep studies are being done all the time. Possible, but as yet unproven links appear to be lack of sleep, sleep schedule changes, stress, anxiety disorders, major depression, PTSD, sleep apnea, bipolar disorder, sleeping on one's back, nighttime leg cramping, narcolepsy, medications for ADHD, substance abuse, and more. (laughs) Oh, shit, oops. Anyway, treatment isn't considered necessary unless it's combined with some other sleep issues, such as extreme exhaustion from lack of sleep. Though it is a sign that your body is not moving smoothly through the stages of sleep, and if it's recurring, it may be worth having it checked out, which would probably involve a sleep study. While treatment may not be necessary, because it's not generally a pleasant experience, some prefer to try treating it anyway. While nothing is being proven yet, again, some have had luck by improving their sleep habits, using antidepressants, treating mental health problems, avoiding sleeping on their backs, reducing stress, exercising regularly, but early in the day, and treating any sleep issues, such as the leg cramps or narcolepsy mentioned earlier. I love this topic, because before we had an understanding of what was happening, there were so many different versions and explanations from cultures throughout history. Versions and explanations that matched each of those cultures and eras, of course. It's a simple lesson in how the human brain works, how it tries to find explanations for what it can't yet understand. Once based in mystery and superstition, today, we know the truth of these experiences. And it's fascinating! And this knowledge is thanks to the scientific and skeptical communities doing what they do. So remember to be skeptical, damn it. I've just started learning about hydro loops. It seems like something that should automatically be a part of new houses being built, like a furnace, right? It would benefit all future tenants, both by being a positive environmental impact and by saving a lot of money on water bills. A hydro loop collects, cleans, and reuses water from several sources in your home. It will collect from your bath, sinks, washing machine, and even air conditioning units. The result is supposed to be clean, clear, safe, disinfected water. To add one to an existing house would run around $4,000, which isn't really doable for your average homeowner. In an old house like mine, there'd be nowhere to put it. I literally have to build an extension onto the house just to store the thing. Apparently, they've been available in Europe and the Middle East and Africa for a while now. It was supposed to begin in the U.S. towards the end of last year. I haven't seen anything about Canada yet, though. Anyway, I'm still just starting to learn about their existence right now. Hydroloops may require either an update segment or an episode dedicated to them in the future. I think most people have heard of toxoplasmosis. I believe most would probably associate it with cats. The cats get it from eating infected mice, which are easier to catch because they lose their innate fear of cats once infected. Well, it's been discovered that it's affecting hyena cubs in the same way, removing their innate fear of large cats, resulting in a rather large uptick in hyena cub dinners for lions. Toxoplasma gondii is one of the world's most common parasites. It's a single-celled organism usually picked up by people via undercooked, contaminated meat or cat poop. Most humans are immune though. It's only really dangerous for newborns and people with weakened immune systems. The effects in mice were confirmed in a study published in PLOS One in 2013. An interesting fact is that the parasite appeared to change their brain chemistry permanently. The lack of fear of cats remains in mice even after the parasite is completely out of their system. Rather than afraid, they're actually mildly attracted to cats, leading to short lifespans in the wild. After some observations in Kenya, a study was done and published in Nature Communications on the hyena cubs. While great predators as adults, hyena cubs are a love treat by lions. Normally their numbers don't really decline because they have an instinctive fear of large cats and stay near their dens. Once infected, however, they become much more reckless and infected hyena cubs are actually approaching lion dens, resulting in them being eaten at four times the rate of uninfected cubs. It appears this is the first time this specific effect has been shown in any mammal other than mice. I decided it was time I learned a bit about aquaculture. Like everything else, there are good points and bad. It's a matter of which outweighs which. Aquaculture is the farming of fish, oysters, shrimp, for aquatic plants in fresher salt water. We've reached a point where the world is now producing more farmed fish than beef. The main positive is that it can help with reducing fishing impacts on the wild populations. When aquaculture was first started in Canada, its whole purpose was to enhance our natural supply. It's gone way beyond that, however, with large scale commercial plants all across the country. Worldwide, the industry has expanded 14 fold since 1980. A negative to consider is the feedlot industry being created in the ocean. You know how we have to grow food to feed our meat? Well, fish obviously have to be fed too. In some cases, we're growing smaller fish to feed larger fish to feed us. I shouldn't say us, I guess, as I don't eat any kind of fish, shellfish, anything that comes from the water, that's a nope for me. Another negative is obviously waste. These farms have a lot of fish in a small area and the waste builds up fast. This pollution, combined with nitrogen, phosphorus, and dead fish, leaks into connected waterways. There is an interesting experimental farm off of Canada's Vancouver Island, which is testing scallops to clean their water. Apparently, scallops thrive on fish waste. And if this works out, it could be at least a partial solution to some of the waste issues. Fish farms can also be breeding grounds for diseases, which also have the potential to get out into the surrounding waterways. Salmon industries have been suffering from parasites, pollution, disease, and sea lice for the last 30 years. In Asia, where there are no bans on antibiotic use and 90% of farm fish are located, the waste is becoming an environmental hazard. If you buy seafood from Asia, just know that the FDA finds numerous banned substances in these foods all the time. They can't check everything, so just imagine what's getting through. Another issue is clearing. Shrimp farms in particular play a part in Indonesia's disappearing mangrove forests. Regardless of any negatives, the supply is still required, and these aquaculture farms will not be going anywhere anytime soon. Fish make up 17% of the world's protein intake, and in some nations that number is 70. The demand from growing populations, combined with all of our main bodies of water being fished to drastic points, has made us dependent on them. Something a bit newer to aquaculture are the on-land fish farms. There are quite a few companies getting going these days. Land-based indoor aquaculture reduces the damage to waterways and has other benefits as well. Florida has an on-land salmon farm, something that doesn't normally thrive in that area. This farm has severely shortened the supply chain. Previously, Florida acquired its salmon mainly from Europe. That's a lot of emissions, no longer required. These land farms have indoor tanks with millions of fish in them. The fish swim against artificial currents. RASs are used. That's recirculating aquaculture systems. They control the temperature, salinity, pH, oxygen levels, currents, lighting cycles, and remove carbon dioxide and waste. The wastewater which is removed is cleaned and reused, creating a closed loop system. One of the main benefits for these fish is that they're not exposed to seaborne diseases and parasites as sea-based farms are. They also have very low disease and mortality rates when compared to sea-based farms. Of course, this is all still rather new tech and there are still issues to work on. The RASs are obviously powered by electricity, which comes from coal, and they require a water treatment system large enough for a small town. It's nearly impossible to be perfect in today's society. I'm hopeful that as time goes on, these processes will continue to improve in positive ways for both human and environmental health. At the moment, it appears the land farms may be the way to go, but who knows what will be revealed as we're able to obtain more stats on them as time goes on. I heard about all of these children of 9-11 victims having their educations paid for and had to share. What a great way to give, man. 9-11 was a horrible tragedy, obviously. The numbers lost are minuscule when compared to what we're seeing now in the U.S. with COVID, but at the time, it was unheard of to lose so many Americans in a single day. It was a series of senseless terror attacks spurred on by religious vigor. 66 of the victims of these horrific acts worked for the investment banking firm Sandler O'Neill and Partners on the 104th floor of the South Tower at the World Trade Center. These 66 victims had 76 children between them. Very shortly after they had all been declared dead, the firm set up foundations to pay 100% of the college tuition for every one of these kids. Over 50 of them have taken advantage of it so far and the rest are now all of age and eligible. They're sending people to community colleges. They're sending people to Stanford. What these kids decide to do and where they go is their choice. It will be paid for and has been for many already. Higher education is something that is not available to everybody in North America. While free in other civilized nations, it just gets more and more expensive here. If this continues, soon only the elite will be able to be educated. In case the reality of that doesn't slap you in the face, that is not a good thing, folks. Education should be a right here, as it is elsewhere, but we continue to fail in that regard. Anyway, there are probably negatives I could find if I looked, tax breaks for setting up charities maybe, that kind of thing. But the fact of the matter is, they could have done nothing. They could have done nothing and chose to do something. And I think that the fact that that something they did was offer the opportunity of education, I think that's fucking awesome. No more, I have no more. Which is good because the light in this closet is hot. I need to get out of here. Thank you for listening. May your health and sanity be replenished daily. Thank you to Jason Martin for composing the intro and outro for the show, and thank you to Kathy Rayner and Paul Palmer for their musical contributions on the violin and guitar. I hope you will join me again in two weeks for episode forty-nine of Living Through Extinction. The governor of Missouri declared a state of emergency. Very serious situation here in Hawaii. Earlier this evening, the uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami a threat. The sky our... turns black as giant tornadoes touch down. From Nebraska to Texas, apocalyptic scenes as twisters tear.